Welcome to The Intuitive Customer, where we discuss how you can improve your customer experience and your bottom line by embracing behavioral economics. And now, here are your hosts, world-renowned thought leader on customer experience, Colin Shaw, and Professor Ryan Hamilton from Emory University. The mistake that many people make is they are looking to take out all the friction. My favorite example is Starbucks. They had all of these bizarre foreign sounding names for the sizes. You had all these combinations of coffees and that introduced friction. The reason that people want things to be easy is because things that take effort means that you've got to source that energy from somewhere. I think we've misled our listeners. Do you want to know why? Colin, I'm not sure we should hop to that for legal reasons. Is there another way you can phrase that? My lawyer's been very clear. I don't know if I can. I think we've misled our listeners. And that is, we've done a couple of podcasts recently where we've been talking about friction and frictionless experiences. Making things easy. Yeah, making things easy. And I think that we, having thought about this a bit further and read up on a few things, I think we may have gone a little bit over the top. And I think the danger is, is that organizations maybe going over the top without thinking about it. So we're going to talk a bit about friction today. And is friction actually a good thing or a bad thing? Make sense? It does. I don't think that we've misled people. I think that there's maybe nuance to this discussion that we haven't gotten to yet. I stand by the advice we've given before. Absolutely. If you're listening, my lawyer, I don't believe that we've misled people. So call him and stuff. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. No, but as you start to think about it a bit more, so let me let me go on and take a stab at this. One of the things we've been talking about and lots and lots of organizations are talking about is clearly how can they make their customer experience easy? And that absolutely is the right thing to be doing. And therefore, you've got this sort of whole subject area of friction, which is an interesting concept in the sense of you want your experience to be frictionless. And therefore, in other words, you want it to be easy. The bit I've been thinking about, and we shared a very good blog called The Value of Inconsistent Design by Jess Weaver. And we'll put this link in the blog that goes on LinkedIn a few days after this, if anybody wants to click through. But one of the things that he was talking about, which I thought was very true, was that actually some friction can be worthwhile. So the example they used in the article was that they did some work with IKEA and people valued, you know, if you've got two boxes, identical boxes, but you've made one of those boxes and the other one that you've just bought, because of the labor that you've put into that, you value it more. And I thought that's a really good point. Some friction creates value. Does that make sense? Yeah. My favorite example is Starbucks. So 
many of us can't remember the first time we went into a Starbucks because they're so ubiquitous now, but there was a first time that you went into a Starbucks. And when you did, it was not an easy ordering experience, right? They had all of these bizarre foreign sounding names for the sizes. You had all these combinations of coffees. Like there was an education component to it and that introduced friction. It was hard. But once you got kind of buy-in from the customers, obviously Starbucks has been tremendously successful. And part of that is arguably this little bit of friction that was introduced into the buying experience. Sure. And the other example I've been thinking about, so I've been trying to think of where this has been the case. If you think about going to an exclusive restaurant, then going to an exclusive restaurant, you know, you've got all that bit about, you know, I want to go to this restaurant and, you know, there's a month waiting list or whatever it may be, but I keep trying. And it's that value that's therefore created by that. And another example, I was talking to some of the guys the other day, some of the team the other day about this. They were talking about going to see the top doctor, you know, in whatever subject area that illness you have. Seeing the top doctor can be a challenge just to get in to see them. So it made me start thinking about, is this a bit about scarcity? And maybe you could just tell listeners a bit about i know we've had a whole podcast in fact we've had a guest on it talking about scarcity but can you give people a view on that so i think that there are several reasons why friction can produce value i think scarcity is potentially one of them so scarcity is this idea that we tend to value things more when they're harder to get so i use the example of a club so if you go to a bar or a club and there's a line out the door that's a signal that this place must be hard to get into. And therefore, that kind of produces some value for you. Disney historically would release their movies for short windows of time, and then they'd lock their movies away in what they called the Disney vault. So, you know, you can only buy Cinderella for the next six months. After that, it's going back into the vault for 10 years, and you won't be able to get it. So that produced this artificial demand. You'd really want to get it during that window that you could. So it's possible that this little bit of friction can, in certain ways, depends on how the friction is, is implemented, but it can induce scarcity, right? So if there's, particularly if this doctor's time is valuable or this restaurant's difficult to get into, you know, that can induce a scarcity effect, which you could alleviate by hiring more doctors or by opening new locations of the restaurant but by making that easier and smoother that might actually reduce some of the value yeah and it made me think that to just take a step back and get people up to speed with our thoughts and our thinking previous to this the reason that people want things to be easy is because you know things that take effort means that you've got to source that energy from somewhere so in other words food and all the rest of it and it's only in the last you know few hundred years that man has been able to get to the position where that's not an issue in the main i hasten to add so therefore it used to take a lot of effort to get food and therefore evolutionarily if that's a word oh, i'm not gonna fight you on it 
<laughs> that's come from we've developed habits, we've developed heuristics, et cetera, et cetera, that help us reduce the amount of effort, which therefore means that we don't have to go out there and eat as much and because food is scarce and all those other wonderful things. But if you take it to its natural extent, which is what I've been talking to the team about recently, the danger with entirely effortless is it drives commoditization, doesn't it? Yeah. So if everything, if you took it to its natural extension and you went, everything is really easy to get, then what would be differentiating you? Now, you could argue that your customer experience and certainly the brand would be differentiating you. But I guess having some effort in there creates that value is where it ties together. Let me give you a different theoretical lens to look at this through. You know, one of the things we've talked about on the podcast before that I'm a big believer in is all theories of human behavior have boundaries on them. They have limits. And so this theory explains things really well under these conditions. But if you change the conditions, then the theory doesn't explain things well anymore. So the theory that says things should be easy, that people are cognitive misers, that they don't like effort, that's a really good theory. And it applies in a lot of instances but not all the time. Right. And there are other theories that would say that part of the way that you evaluate something is through what's called self-perception. And so you look at your own behavior and you say, if I'm working hard to achieve this thing, that's evidence that I really like it, that it's really important to me. Sure. So this is the theory that underlies like hazing rituals, for example. So if you wanted to get into a club in college and they put you through hell to get into that club, then once you're in, you look back on all that effort and uh, that embarrassment that you went through, and that's evidence that you must really like this club. You must really value it a lot. And so you can see some of that in certain customer experiences, right? So the fact that you're willing to learn a new language to be able to order a coffee at Starbucks is evidence that you like it, right? You're willing to go through that extra effort. You're willing to wait in line for them to serve you as opposed to the coffee shop down the street where things were easier, right? So that may be an instance where we can start to kind of tease these apart. So is the effort in such a way that it's just a hassle or is the friction introduced into the process in such a way that it shows you how much you value that thing, right? If you go back to the Ikea example, the fact that you were willing to devote six hours to put together this lopsided bookshelf is evidence that you must really like the bookshelf. It's also evidence that you've got a lot of spare screws because whenever I put it together, it never works. I have a collection of about 40 Allen wrenches. <laughs> I don't want to throw them away because, you know, you never know when you're going to need one of those things. It <laughs> comes up all the time. I have put together so much Ikea furniture. I'm convinced you could give me six sheets of steel and an Allen wrench and I could build you a car. <laughs> yes. I actually ordered a bookcase for my study in Sarasota and I put it together and then realized I put it back to front <laughs> so I had to take the whole bloody thing out again. They're not designed to be taken back apart very easily. I think we've all discovered that. No, no, they're not. It just amazes me. I find the instructions, and I know we're digressing now, but this is a, a little hobby horse of mine, and I've built a hobby horse as well. <laughs> um, <laughs> wow, you brought that full circle. That was <laughs> Colin Shaw is a professional podcaster. Here, that Not everybody could have done that. That was impressive. But what annoys me 
intensely is the lack of detail or the lack of, you know what, it would be really interesting to find out if they ever watch anybody as incompetent as I am (laughs) constructing one of these things. Because then they would realise that, you know, finding out the hole in the back of this particular piece of wood is really important. And that's the key thing that you need to think about because you've got some bloody idiot like me putting it together. You didn't notice that smudge on stage two that you didn't realize was actually a hole that was part of the design? Yeah, that'll come up in stage 18. Yeah. And then the real bugbear I get is when they call things by different names. You know, they call one a a nut and the other one a, a wing nut or something like that. And you think, hold on, are they the same thing? And if they are, why have they called them different things? And anyway, we digress. These are important issues. Ikea, are you listening? (laughs) I'll tie this back around because I too am a professional podcaster. You just identified a source of friction that doesn't contribute to value. Good point, well made. So it's not that we're arguing you should just throw sand in the gears for the sake of making things hard on your customers. Think about the way Starbucks did it strategically. Think about the good friction that Ikea introduces in terms of effort towards something successful, right? When you do build the bookcase and it all works out well, there's now been studies that show you take pride in that and you value it more. Whereas if it's just friction that produces heat, that produces anger, that's not helping anyone. Yeah. This is Colin Shaw. I hope you'll join me for the third and final webinar in the series we've called Fresh Take on CX, sponsored by Freshworks. The subject of this webinar is why the human touch still matters in the age of artificial intelligence. This takes place on August the 13th, 2019. To register, just go to bit.ly, B-I-T dot L-Y forward slash Fresh Take 3. That's bit.ly, B-I-T dot L-Y forward slash Fresh Take 3. And I look forward to seeing you there. Thanks very much. Bye-bye. Some forms of friction can be a good thing, but there's two key words. One that we've talked about, one we haven't. The first key word that we have talked about is value. There is value in doing that. Now, the value could be I'm joining this exclusive club. The value could be I'm getting something that is exclusive. The value could be pride in what you've done in creating whatever it is that you've created. So the question becomes for me, what value are we trying to drive here? Yeah. And what principle is underlying here? It could be scarcity as we've talked about, but that infers the second word that I would put in here, which is deliberate. Okay. And these things need to be deliberate, which means that you need to have deliberated over it. So this is not just incompetence (laughs) or accidental. Yeah, This is done purposefully, knowing that this bit of friction will actually help and create value for our customers. And I think for me, that's the key of it. It's a great point, and I think you made it really well. You like to talk about the need to identify specific customer emotions and then set goals and have training and implement processes that facilitate those specific emotions. I think we can have a parallel point made here where 
you need some specific source of value, some goal that you're driving towards when you introduce friction, because it's risky. This is not an easy or trivial thing to do. And so if you, as you say, if the friction is introduced via incompetence, probably not going to help. If it's introduced to further some specific goal, self-identity, self-perception, value from effort, these kinds of things, you can actually increase overall value by introducing strategic friction. Yeah, and I think that you also have to sort of think about this in the digital context. Everybody is digitally transforming their experience, okay? We spend loads of our time just talking with customers and helping them work through how to digitally transform their experience. And the mistake that many people make is they are looking to take out all the friction. And this goes back to, Ryan, you would have heard this, but I don't think everybody else has heard this. So this is a story about back in the day, we used to get our milk delivered in England. And I used to say to my wife, you know, why are we getting our milk delivered? We should actually just go down the road and buy it at the grocery store because it's cheaper. And, you know, that's what everybody else is doing. And Lorraine used to say, no, no, no. She said, I like the fact that the milk guy comes around on a Friday night and he collects the money and, you know, blah, blah, blah. So we kept the milk guy coming around. Long and short of it, milk guy leaves, new guy takes over. He decides that there's a bit of friction in the experience, I guess, to use the parlance. And he decides that what he's going to do is that he's going to leave the receipt underneath the milk bottle and he's going to ask us to leave a check for the milk in a safe place. Okay, so, you know, the reality is it actually makes it easier for us, yeah? But guess what happened after two weeks of that experience? Yeah, We decided that we didn't want it anymore. Why? Because the key interaction that actually drove the value was the interaction on a Friday night when he used to come around and collect the milk and we'd have a laugh and a joke. Now, that you could argue, you know, there were times that he would come around when we were eating or whatever it may be, and it was inconvenient. But that was the key point. And the danger is, the moral of the story is, when you're digitizing your experience, there are parts of your experience that you may not want to digitize because actually they drive most value. And the danger is, is you could be shooting yourself in the foot by digitizing everything that you are doing in your total experience. And I don't think there's enough organizations that actually think that stuff through. Yeah, I mean, it goes back to the point we've made over and over again, which is, you know, what is the source of value to your customer? There are customers who would undoubtedly have valued the convenience of not having to engage with the milkman every week just to pay the bill. There are also some, though, for whom that was a major source of value. And if you don't know, then you can't make that decision intelligently. You can't know which sources of friction to remove and which ones you should keep. Are there instances where you need to add more into the process because that furthers the value to the customer? Yeah, no, absolutely. So let's get into our usual slot of what is it we think people should do. So for me, the key is two words, value, and deliberate. So first of all, you've got to think about what parts of my experience would drive value. And if I was to implement some type of friction into this experience, or even keep some friction in this experience, 
then what does that mean that I would do? What parts of that would I do? And therefore, that goes to the second word, which is deliberate, which means that you've thought about it, you've deliberated over it, and you've decided that keeping some friction in here will actually create it. It should not be incompetence. And all too often, friction is created through incompetence rather than a deliberate nature. In fact, I'd go so far as to say 98% of the friction is created through incompetence or through the lack of thought of the customer is another way of putting it. So I think they people need to think through those things. What about you? The rule should be easy, right? So every opportunity to make things easy on your customer, that's your default. But recognize what those sources of value are for your customer. What is it that you as a brand are bringing to the table that customers actually want? And can you increase the sources of value around that? And sometimes that then means introducing or reintroducing friction to the process strategically, as you said, to target specific sources of value. You know, think through this idea that people sometimes look to their own behavior as evidence of what they like. There was a great study that I love. It actually was done in the 70s, but they looked at coupon redemption. And they very cleverly split out two different groups of coupons. Some coupons were super easy to redeem. So think about like the photocopied coupons that grocery stores used to like tape onto the boxes, just automatic. And then some of them were very difficult to redeem. So think about the coupons that used to be printed into the packaging. And so you'd have to take it home and then cut out the cardboard with scissors and remember to bring it back. What they found is that when you run a coupon, sales increase during the coupon period, and then they drop back down. What they looked at is that drop back down period. So after the coupon stopped running, did it go back to where it was, or did it drop down below? So in other words, are people kind of hoarding? And what they found is that easy to redeem coupons resulted in lower sales afterwards. It seemed to erode the natural sales level. Whereas these difficult to redeem coupons didn't. And the argument that they made was, if you observe yourself buying something on discount, that's kind of evidence that you don't value it much. You're kind of saying, well, they had to pay me off in order to get me to buy this. Whereas if it's a difficult to redeem coupon, then the evidence is I must really like this. If I'm willing to you know, induce carpal tunnel syndrome in order to cut this out of a cardboard box, <laughs> keep it in my purse for three days so that I can remember that's evidence that I really like this. That's a good point. Are customers doing the same thing in your customer experience? Where you're making things easy in such a way that they go, eh, I must not really like this that much. I'm not willing to put in any effort into it. Yeah. And the last bit I'd throw in just saying that is, you know, the danger is if everybody makes everything so easy, how are you going to differentiate yourself? So I'm not saying make things complicated, but it goes back to this deliberate bit, which is, you know, what's driving value and how do you deliberate over it and make it purposeful? So good. Okay. Well, thanks very much for listening, everybody. If you have any questions, please don't hesitate to contact us. If you've got any suggestions on what you'd like us to talk about, it's really been good recently talking to a number of listeners who have come up with some really good ideas about what we should be covering. So just drop us a line at contact at beyondphilosophy.com. That's contact at beyondphilosophy.com. Or just go to our website, beyondphilosophy.com, and put your comments in there. Thanks very much.
This has been the Intuitive Customer with Colin Shaw and Professor Ryan Hamilton. But it doesn't end here. Just go to beyondphilosophy.com slash podcast to find all of our shows, access free tools and resources, and subscribe, won't you? That way you'll never miss a show. That's beyondphilosophy.com slash podcast. And we'll talk with you next time on The Intuitive Customer.